I truly believe that God has a word for our hearts. Uh, you know, it's, uh, somebody asked me, how long does it take to prepare a sermon? And um, <clears throat> I said, it could take you two weeks. And they're like, what? You see, before you preach a sermon, you've got to live a sermon. Then you've got to actually articulate and put down your sermon. And you need to research your sermon. But I think the greatest difficulty is to live your sermon. And uh, God challenges me so much in that, that until I live it, I can't preach it. And uh, I want to challenge you that God wants to speak to your hearts this morning. And I'm going to speak this morning on the area of choices. I've put it down that every choice counts. And you know, in the journey of life, every choice we make counts. And... Um, some of them are very simple choices. Um, there might be things that you don't even think about. Do I get up this morning and brush my teeth? No brainer, I hope you did. Uh, otherwise the person next to you will tell you your choice counts, right? Uh, or you might be, for some people, this is a very big one, right? We move from little ones to big ones. What do I wear today, right? How many people can say that's a big choice? where you can spend half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe you start the day before thinking about this, right? I think um, for a lot of guys, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, uh, for a lot of guys, I'm judging for myself, for a lot of guys, it's just not a big deal. Uh, you just think about it, you wear something and you go about it, right? Uh, to be honest, for me, even combing my hair is not an issue, right? Because it's that short, right? But uh, I know there's a lot of guys who have to think a lot even about their hair and they use a lot of product and all these things. But even I go on a mission strip, it's very easy. All my stuff fits in a Ziploc bag, right? A toothbrush, some toothpaste, a cologne, and that's about it. The soap is there when I go to the other side. But, you know, I realize that I'm a bit outdated because when I see some of the young guys today, they've got bags of product bags of things that they have to put in their hair, put on their body, the lotions. So there's a lot of choice involved in all of that, right? But, um, you know, choices go on. They become choices of whom will I marry, where will I live, what car will I drive? And, you know, they get a little more like choices that count for a longer time, choices that actually have longer repercussions in our lives. And I want to take us today to choices that actually are very significant to our destiny and purpose. And how do we make those choices? What basis do we use for making life-defining choices? I was at marriage seminar um, last week, uh, you know, uh, a denominational thing, and um, uh, Somebody, one of the ministers there, he was in our discussion group, and he asked this very serious question. He said, why do you think Peter asked, uh, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Think about it. Why do you think he asked him three times, do you love me? And he said, there was only one reason. Because a little while earlier, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now, some of you got it, some of you didn't. They say that the only thing we don't have a choice in is our relatives. They come as part of the package. And um, 
Today, uh, I can be very honest, I, I got a good package, right? So thanks. Uh, it's actually Lisa's birthday yesterday, so we can give her a shout out if she's watching us. She's in the in India today. We wish you a happy birthday for yesterday. And, um, you know, we thank God because Pastor and Liz are overseas. They're ministering in Sri Lanka and they are India. And great results out of that ministry. So thank God as we've been praying together. So you don't get a choice in your relatives. But let's look at some choices and how, uh, life-defining choices. And two things, I've listed them as the goalposts. Now, I know that when we go to um, a footy game, there are four goalposts, right? But the center two count the most, right? Because that's where you score the most points. And we have goalposts in rugby. We have goalposts in um, other sports. But today, I'm going to, to make it easy, look at two goalposts. So what I've done is uh, I've got a left side of, for you right? On that side, whatever that side is, left or right, right? And I've put it down as a goalpost of conviction. You see, when we strike inside the goalpost of conviction, we will score. What happens a lot of times is that in life, we do things without a sense of conviction. We can do it just because somebody said it's a good idea, right? We can do it because you know, that's what we've done traditionally. I'm not really convinced, right? But I do it. But you see, conviction is a strength. When you have a conviction on something, you can fall back on it. You with me? When you have a conviction on something, you can fall back on it, and it's a strength to keep you. We're uh, going to look at a couple of examples. You see, sometimes we think that just because the majority said it, it's got to be right. The reality is that in the Bible, the majority was most often wrong, right? So you need to have the sense of conviction. And we're going to look at a couple of biblical examples. So we're going to look first at a man who gets a very bad rap in the Bible, and he's Saul, the King Saul, right? King Saul was handpicked by God to be king over Israel. He was chosen out of, uh, you know, all Israel. God says to Samuel, go, this is the man. He gives him, uh, you know, a miracle that happens to position this man. And uh, this guy starts off very humble. He starts off, you know, hiding away uh, in the baggage, not even able to be found to be anointed as king. But along the journey, Saul's attitude changes. You see, he was chosen to be dependent on God. But somewhere in the journey, his dependency on God shifted. And, uh, you know, somebody said, if you stand for nothing, right, you will fall for everything. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. And we find that Saul stood only for the things that seemed right in his own eyes. He was willing to be swayed around by people's opinions. Ever met somebody like that? Who can't take a decision? Everybody's opinion counts, right? So if X says do it this way, they say, yes, let's do it that way. And then Y will come and say, no, do it this way. And they say, oh, yes, let's do it that way. And then somebody else will come and say, no, I think this is how it should be done. 
Now there's three opinions. They don't know what to do. There is chaos. Ever met somebody like that? Yeah? Right? It drives people mad. But Saul was a people pleaser. He had moved from being a God pleaser to recognizing that it was God who appointed him and God who had a purpose to becoming a people pleaser. And rather than seeking to be obedient to the conviction that God had placed in his heart to obey the word of God, he chooses to go by the voice of people. Let's read this. Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 13, 7 to uh, 14, it says, Now Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the people, uh, troops with him were quaking with fear. They are, they are uh, you know, confronted by opposition. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And, the, and Saul's men began to scatter, so he had a dilemma on his hands. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Now this doesn't seem like a big deal, right? It doesn't seem like a big deal. Saul saw that the blessing of God had to be got, but he didn't understand that the blessing of God had to be got in the way that God determined it. And God had said, Samuel, through Samuel, wait until Samuel arrives. But Saul, to please people, to make things comfortable, good for himself, he violates a biblical principle. And he decides, I will do something that I am not called to do. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, pause there for a moment, how many of us have done something because we thought it was the right thing to do, and found calamity following, I will have to have both hands up, right, many times where we go on the journey and then it becomes a moment where it's not what God said, it's what I thought. I thought this was the right thing to do. What have we ha done? We've taken away from God and we've made it, we are in control. You see, either God is in control or we are in control. He is not going to be in control if we are in control, right? In a car, you have one steering wheel yeah you choose who's going to be behind it now i know that sometimes we might almost feel tempted i remember we uh, took somebody down from colombo to gaul and the person had been here all their life and you know how driving is in in sri lanka right it's crazy and um, i remember the person who was driving this guy was seated in the front seat and he was very quiet, the guy who was from overseas. And the person was driving here, and this guy was very quiet. And he was really not, not that he was being quiet because he was taking everything in, he was actually having a panic attack because of what was going on around him. And at some point, he saw the oncoming traffic, and the panic attack came out. He reached out and grabbed the steering wheel and tried to steer the car. And what he did was, he really steered the car into the oncoming traffic, right? Because he had totally freaked out 
lost control of being able to trust that the guy who was driving got it. Now, if you're in Sri Lanka, right, you trust the guy who's driving. And he's not like God. He makes a few mistakes, right? When I go in an Uber, my daughter laughs because I am next to the Uber driver. And on this side, like I was teaching her to drive at the time, I'm trying to change gears. I'm trying to change things without, I'm not doing it for him, but on my own, I'm thinking, okay, brake, 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 right? And this guy is driving. He doesn't know what I'm doing, but my daughter can see me at the back pressing my foot, right? And she's laughing and saying, Dad, you're not driving, okay? He's driving. But you see, sometimes in life, we claim that God is in the driving seat, but actually we're trying to push him over, right? We're saying, God, you can't see, you can't see. It's coming. And we're trying to take over the driving seat. Friends, that's what Saul did. God had given him a command. God had said, when Samuel comes, he will offer the burnt offering. But Saul couldn't wait. He tried to get in the driving seat. And something disastrous happens in his life. That's later on. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. You see, Saul thought he was going to keep his kingdom by violating the command. He thought, I will preserve, I will have people around me, I will accomplish by not obeying, doing it my way. But he made a poor choice. Because in his poor choice, that which he was trying to protect actually was taken away from him. And friends, I want to tell you and I that there's many times in the journey of life where we think, God, you're a little late. God, you're not doing it the way that it should be done. And we start to take a place that we are not called to take. Because when you take over the driving seat and you start to steer, you have literally pushed God out of the vehicle. And I want to challenge you today that, you know, sometimes we don't understand. I'm so sure Saul had some good intentions. And he was thinking, maybe I can rally the troops. Maybe I can do what's right. But he was violating a principle, and that is to obey the commands of God. And for you and I, the commands of God must become a firm foundation. It must be what we build our lives on. You know, you can have conviction, but your conviction must be, must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. There are a lot of people who have convictions that are way out. They believe that we can do what they want. You know, the Bible says in the book of Judges that each man did what was right in his own eyes. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, there was a sense of, if I think this is what should be done, then that's my conviction. That's what I'm going to live my life on. And friends, I want to challenge you and I this morning that we can be having wrong convictions in our life. We can be having things that are not based on the Word of God. And I want to tell you, you're not going to score between the goalposts if your convictions are based on anything less than the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the rules 
that God has set. It is the boundaries. It is the, uh, the parameters that God has set for you and I. So don't let your life be governed by I thoughts. I thoughts. It's what God thinks. It's what God says. It's what God determines that matters. But Saul built wrong. So that's a challenge for us. I'm going to read on. And, uh, you know, this is an area, you know, that I often look at. And I put it up in my heart as a poster, this particular story. Because this story challenges me that God calls us to not just pretend to have a conviction, but to live by our conviction. And, you know, there's many times in life where we have the facade of conviction. We do all the right things for everyone to see. But in here, there's no change of heart. Right? In here, we are still, oh, I really love that. I really want to do that. You've not given it up here. The change that God desires is not an external change. It is an internal change. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In the book of Matthew, you find that Jesus talks very harshly to a group of people, and they are called the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked good on the outside, but the Bible says they are like whitewashed tombstones. They look nice on the outside, but they are full of dead men's bones, right? And sometimes God can challenge us. Let's read the story. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 to 10. It says, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spirits from the land. So he's done a good thing, right? He's acted on the word of God, the word of God which speaks against witchcraft, it speaks against idolatry, it speaks against, uh, you know, uh, the demonic spirits, and Saul has taken a decision. He has banished all the mediums, sorcerers, witches from the land. He's cured or healed the land as it were. While Saul was gathered, all these rites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid, terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. So Saul has a dilemma. Saul has lost favor with God. He's functioning now not under the Spirit of God. He's functioning out of his own abilities. And he realizes that in order to win his war, he needs the power of God. So he goes seeking for God, and God does not answer him. And this is something that I want to draw attention to, because sometimes in life, it is in those moments that what's really in my heart comes out. In the moments where life doesn't go good, that what's really in my heart comes out. It's in the moments when no one's looking and I'm on my own that what's really in my life comes out. And here we see Saul taking a decision. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, this said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on his clothes at night he and two men went to the woman, consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. You see, Saul, who had done a good deed on the external from his heart, had not had a change. And you know, that is what conviction comes down to. 
Conviction is not just an external change. And sometimes we can make external changes without an internal change. A conviction has to start in my heart. You know, Paul writing to the uh, church in, uh, at least writing in Romans chapter 8, he says, For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He had a deep conviction in his heart. And that conviction changed his outlook on life. It propelled him to do things that no other man had done. It propelled him to take the gospel to places that no one else had gone. It propelled him to face shipwrecks, to face hardship. I mean, how many of us would sit and be willing to be thrown in prison when we hadn't done something wrong? To be bruised, to be whipped, to be persecuted from city to city. Couldn't he have turned up at some point and say, God, seriously, I've done three, four cities. Surely there's someone else for the balance. But no, he had a conviction that was driving him, propelling him. And in the face of hardship, his conviction took him through. And I want to challenge you and I that when our conviction is based on the Word of God, friends, you and I can face the challenges of life. But if we are without a conviction, I said, when we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. We find that our life will collapse at the slightest pressure. You know, I was reading, uh, this, I was doing an audiobook last week, and this guy was talking of a, a man who he admired, and he said, this guy, he got cancer. He was a man who was so committed to God and working in the kingdom of God. And he said he couldn't understand it. He was really upset. He was really upset, not the man who got it, but the man who was writing the book. He said he was really upset and he said, how could this happen? That this man who loved God can have this. And he said his life and heart was changed when he saw the attitude of this guy. Because this guy's attitude was one of strength. It was, I won't ever stop praising God. Because I know that God is good. And he said that became his uh, statement of life. Whenever he would meet this man, this man would say, God is good all the time. And you know, he said he found it hard to agree at the time. It was sort of hard to uh, take it in. But then he found, as he saw the faith of this man, that he had to agree. Because this man had joy even in the midst of calamity. And you know, when our anchor is set, we hold strong in the midst of the storm. And I want to challenge you and I, that when we have a conviction that the Word of God is what it says it is. When we have a conviction that God is so He says He is. When we have a conviction in our heart that God is good, not some of the time, but all of the time, it changes our perspective on life. We can be anchored to stay strong. The second goalpost that I have, and that is consequences. Now, consequences and choices go hand in hand, right? You can't separate them. 
Whereas every choice has a consequence. Um, was it Newton who said every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So every choice has a consequence. But you know what? Consequences also are a good goalpost in life. Because consequences make us aware. And sometimes we do things we don't consider the consequences. Is that right? Yeah? Very often we get into trouble because of it. We sometimes have the conviction right, but we don't have the consequence right, right? But if you hit between the two, that's where you're going to score. But you got the conviction right, but the consequence. So you know what? Maybe I'll push it to the edge and see how far I can go, right? Consequences are a great teacher. I was listening to somebody um, a couple of weeks ago, and they had this little thing, and then it came up in my devotions as well. And I'll just read it to you because I wrote it down thinking it's something that I found interesting. It says, God made us to be born as little kids who can't walk or talk or even use a bathroom correctly. We have to be taught everything. All that learning takes time. He made us so we are dependent on him. So he doesn't mind. You know, there are times when, yes, the consequence question we will take into account. There are times we won't take it into account. But I want to tell you that God is a God of grace. Because every time a baby falls, do we hold our head and say, this child is never going to walk? No. We go, we hold that child, we help them up. And then a toddler starts to walk. And as a parent, I don't know if you're, you, you can remember a child taking their first steps. It's like the biggest thing, right, that you have that took their first steps. And to God, it's like that. When we start to take our first steps, when we start to put these into place, and we start to, from the place of falling, we start to suddenly realize, yes, I can actually start to walk in the things of God. So consequences. We're going to look at a, a story of a man who had to pay some dire cost on consequence. And you know, it says in um, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it talks of a man called David. It says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed them uh, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And I call this the wrong place at the wrong time principle. How many of us have been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Where you can say, oh my goodness, if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't go down that path. If I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have been there, but I was there. And David makes a wrong choice. He forgets that there are consequences to his actions. So David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's looking out of his window. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. He gets attracted to her. He uh, abandons all his knowledge and convictions in his life. And he chooses to get the woman. He, you know, commits adultery with her. But there is a consequence. The woman becomes pregnant with child. And she sends word to David saying, I'm expecting. Now David has a dilemma on his hands. Because here is the king of Israel having messed up. And you know, you'd think that this man who was called a man after God's own heart, 
This is the point. He'll fall on his knees. He'll confess his sins. He'll, you know, come out and say, I messed up, okay? Deal with me, God. I messed up. But David is a crafty man, right? He decides to do what all of us, I don't know, maybe I'm generalizing, what all of us try to do. So there is a consequence he decides to cover it up. So he tries to cover up his mess up. So he goes and he says, okay, this woman is married to Uriah, who is actually one of my closest armor uh, warriors. So I will get the guy killed. So he orchestrates, I mean, see how conniving this guy is. He sends him to the battlefront. He says, when he goes, everybody else pull back, let him get killed. And the man gets killed. Now David thinks, tickety-boo, all done, I'm safe. Right? I don't know. This guy's journey seems very, very relatable. Where we cover up, cover up, cover up, and suddenly we feel it's finally under the carpet. Nobody's going to see. But we don't realize that there is somebody who sees. That as a child of God, you and I are not just accountable to man, but we are accountable to God. And God in his mercy, I say this in his mercy, because God is looking not just to make David, you know, have to uh, come clean, but God saw that he had more for David's life. And he knew that this sin, this mess up, if it remained under the carpet, undealt with, was going to mess up David's future in God. So David is confronted by a man called Nathan, a prophet. And Nathan comes to David and he starts to relate a story. And it's funny because he relates a story that gets David's righteous anger all burning. And David is like, okay, he relates a story how there was a man who had just one little ewe lamb, a little lamb that he cared for. And there was a wealthy man next door and this man had everything under the sun. But when he wanted to throw a feast, he decided, rather than taking from his own, to take the little ewe lamb, kill it, and serve it up. And David says, the man must pay. And Nathan, the prophet, tells him, yes, David, I agree. And God says, you are the man. You are the man. Because you have taken something that did not belong to you. And you have violated God's word. But we see the comparison between Saul and David. Saul has no recompense. He is not in any way repentant for what he has done. He makes excuses. He says, Samuel, basically the fault is yours because if you had turned up, then I wouldn't have had to do what I did. David, on the other hand, he falls before God and he says, read it in Psalm 51, against you, and you are gone, have I sinned, O God. Cast me not away from your presence, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is a cry of a man that realized that there are consequences, but the consequences drove him to God, not away from God. And I want to tell you that if we can have these two goalposts in life, if we kick between the goals, the goalposts, we will find that we will score what God has for us in life.
So let consequences and convictions drive the decisions and choices you and I make. Yes, we will fall. Yes, we will fail. 100%. But when we fall, God is not in any way hindered by our mess-ups if we will give them to him. If we will come to him and say, God, I messed it up. I did, Lord, but I shouldn't have. You see, when we surrender and open to God, he's able to do something good. David's, Saul's mess up robbed him of kingship. His future as the king of Israel was cut short because of his mess up, because he couldn't take responsibility for his failure. David's kingdom was established forever. He too messed up time and time again, but David took responsibility for his failure. David was willing to accept when he messed up. And therefore, we have one man lost his kingdom. The other man's went on for eternity. You see, God is not hindered. He is not in any way limited by our failure. And today, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, God, talk about convictions, God. I just do whatever I feel is right. And I know that I have messed up. Maybe there are others who can say, God, I haven't thought of the consequences and today I'm reaping the consequences of the choices I've made. But I want to tell you, God is not done with you. God is not done with you because God was not done with David. God was willing to send a man called Nathan and maybe what I am preaching today is in some way stirring in you as it constantly does in me. I told you I have to live my message before I can preach it. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning and God is saying, there is a comeback. There is a comeback from your choice. But that comeback is in me. You see, when David made that decision to repent before God, there was a consequence. The child that was born out of that relationship died. But as David took Bathsheba as his wife, the son born to her was King Solomon, the next king of Israel. And David had many other sons, but God chose Solomon through which he would establish the kingdom. You see, God, you'd think, would say, oh dear, this is too messy. Better leave this one aside. I'll go for one of the other sons because this one, there's a lot of, you know, skeletons in the closet. There's a lot of issues in this. So you know what? I'll choose one. But God is not worried about mess-ups. He looks at us in all our brokenness and he says, that's the one through whom my glory is going to shine. And God picks up Solomon, born from Bathsheba, to become the next king of Israel, through whom he would bring the following line, through which he would bring his son, the Messiah, into the world, because God is not ashamed of your mess up and mine. God is not hindered by your mess up and mine. There are many times like the little infant, the toddler, we might be falling on the way. Don't stay fallen. Don't stay fallen. Can you imagine if that toddler never gets up? If that toddler remains constantly like that? No, the toddler tries again. He'll stand again. He'll stand again. 
and finally he'll be able to walk. And God's desire for you and I is that we walk, that we not stay fallen, that we walk. So you have a choice this evening, you know, this morning, you know, Saul passed the buck, he passed the blame. And maybe in the situation you're in today, you're saying, God, it's so-and-so's fault. It's this circumstance that caused this for me. Don't pass the buck. Be willing to own the choices you make. Be willing to stand before God and say, God, I need your healing in me. I need you to give me the strength, and he will surely give it to you. Mm -hmm.